Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, it is my honor today to present Pastor Paula White. She is an amazing, amazing woman. Um, Her book is an amazing book. Um, So, you know, what I loved about it uh, in particular was how brutally honest you were about everything, you know, really sharing your emotions, and um, we'll, of course, get into this, but how this relates, I mean, I've been doing, um, my most recent shows, for the most part, have been related to different aspects of coronavirus, and of course, Pastor Paula, her book, which is called um, Something Greater, Finding Triumph Over Trials, is, of course, uh, very relevant to coronavirus. And um, the way that she found God with uh, coming from a childhood, you know, Paula, if, um, if, if there was a movie of your life, which presumably there probably will be at some point, uh, you know, people might find it hard to believe that some of it, the earliest years, you know, from childhood to uh, 18 at least, um, that people might find it hard to believe that the story is true because you were faced with so many unbelievable challenges and um, problems and and tragedies um, mm-hmm. that you know somebody might think oh that couldn't really have happened to one little girl <laughs> that this isn't true but um, and of course the the major part of that is coming out of that and finding faith, and then, of course, being able to share that with the whole world. So, right. um, Pastor Paula uh, is the spiritual advisor to President Donald Trump. She hosts Paula White today. She's a renowned life coach, best-selling author, and highly sought-after motivational speaker. And um, she reaches the whole world with her missions and her ministries and all of that, and really through being an example in yourself of someone who didn't give up and who believed in God, even though your childhood really wasn't one where you went to church every Sunday. Um, right. But how you found God and, and, um, and still maintained through all this adversity, um, even after 18, you know, all the things that you, the challenges, um, you know, is you are a a lesson to all of us. You are a role model to all of us, um, and particularly during this time of coronavirus, it is um, important to hear your story because you know so many of us are uh, wondering how what's going to happen when we are able to come out of our little rat holes, and uh, what's going to happen to the world, what is happening to the world, and so on. But we'll save coronavirus and the world. <laughs> later. Let's start with your life. Um, The way that you start the book, being a five-year-old child who just lost her father, um, staring at a music box that you had gotten from him for your fifth birthday, 
This was in 1971. And wondering the right. questions that all little children uh, ask themselves when a parent dies, or even beyond little. Uh, didn't you love me? Did I do something wrong? Why did you leave me? And, of course, feeling abandoned and feeling that there must be some flaw in you. So why don't we start with that? Um, you know, I'd love to you, Dr. Carroll. Back to that time. You know, first off, Dr. Carroll, thank you for everything you do. Your voice is so powerful and needed during this time. And uh, I know that throughout this show we'll be able to offer hope and help and healing to people that might feel like giving up or, or there's no way out. You know, I was born into a pretty well-to-do family. My father came from a wealthy family. My mother had two masters and her doctorate. And so as far as education and and what went, uh, that was there, though I had this real love-hate relationship with money because my father had a real irresponsible uh, childhood. I think that he never had to face any consequences. He didn't have boundaries. And therefore, when he went off and got drunk or got, you know, pulled over, he would get bailed out. My grandmother, you know, would call the DA or do something. And it was, you know, I didn't recognize this as a young girl. In fact, my father was very dysfunctional, but he was my hero. And he was my hero because he played with me. And when he was home, he would take me to breakfast and draw those smiley faces on the pancakes and then take me to the country club, which I thought was normal for him to play golf and run me with the boys. And my mom had two toy stores, uh, Playland toy stores and craft stores. And she was a hard entrepreneur and the worker. and, And so I wouldn't see her very much. When I was five years old. My mom and dad, you know, they they kept trying to get away. My father had a very dysfunctional relationship with his mother, called her by her first name, Mary Ruth, etc. Of course, when you're a child, you don't know these things. You you know, he was larger than life than me. He was my hero. He was my Superman. When I get Mm -hmm. sick in the hospital, I, I remember... You know, I wanted bacon. It was like 2 a.m. in the morning. He was on a business trip, or so I was told he was. Um, Who knows where he really was? And and he shows up. He was very charismatic, very good-looking, larger than life, big personality. And he comes in, and I remember saying, I won't bacon, I won't bacon. I had a fever that was, I mean, it broke the thermometer. And so they kept me in the hospital for several days. And the nurse said, you can't have bacon. You can't have, I want bacon. So my daddy says, my baby wants bacon. She's getting bacon. And that, that's the image I had of my father those first five years. But he didn't just die. He committed suicide. And when you when a person commits suicide, it does, I mean, death is horrific. It leaves us with all, like you said, these questions and this grief and this, uh, so many things that don't get formed right in our childhood. But suicide becomes so much more. It would be years and years later and a lot of therapy and, and more than anything, a relationship that I would discover with God when I'm 18 years old. Uh, had this divine encounter, which we'll get to. But but those early beliefs that were so faulty in my life, um, that as you stated, I begin to take on this belief of what's wrong with me. And, and, you know, two and two don't add up to four because I was always told I'm the apple of my daddy's eye. So if you love me so much, why would you leave me? And you cannot put together in that little brain of yours that, you know, there was something that 
I don't think my father, he wasn't a premeditated, it was, it was, I don't think he really wanted to die, but I do, we know, I now know he was seeing a psychiatrist, he was drinking, he got in a, my mom had taken my brother and I to Memphis as a threat to him, like, you better get it together, we lived in Mississippi, or, you know, I, I just can't put up with this anymore, and so it was a very traumatic night, it was raining, thundering, my dad came to the door and I remember just being so happy like daddy daddy and uh, he banged on that door and I'd never seen a violent side to my father and he grabbed my arm and said give me Paula I'll kill myself my mother grabbed the other arm and they began to tack you know just literally tug at me like a raggy end doll and he took that long loving arm that I'd known that drew those smiley faces on the pancakes and began to beat my mother and the police were called. They took him away. And when he got out, he sure enough took his life. And I believe, you know, years later, my father had gone beneath such a baseline. And we are more educated, more open now to recognize some of those signs when people are screaming out for help, um, when, when they're hurting. And I, I'm not quite as judgmental against his actions, maybe as I, I was, you know, in complete denial most of my life growing up thinking, like, he's really alive. I'd go down in a mall and think, well, isn't he somewhere? Or, you know, I wanted a father so bad. I wanted a family so bad. And my mother became an alcoholic, and we moved 14 times. So you, you have all of these different dynamics, displacement, etc. And so... Those, as we have learned and, and come to know, that all behavior comes out of belief. And so when I was left at five years old to basically raise myself and put together the meaning of life, um, it became mm-hmm. very, very faulty. And I bought into the lies that I was not valuable, that I wasn't worthy. Um, and there were things that went along with that. When a, when a parent is, you know, I, again, learned how to be forgiving to my mom, who I thought, why do you wait, fight for wait, me? Wait, wait, wait. Before we get to your mother, wait, Paula. <laughs> yeah. There's Before a lot we get to, to your, your mother. <laughs> yes, there is. I know. We should do a series. Um, before you get it, to your mother. It could be. You know, <laughs> um. You know, the, in addition to all of, you know, of course, yes, it's a lot worse when a father commits suicide, does, you know, um, and leaves a, a little child, or anybody, actually, even an adult child. Um, but what even made it worse, and what must have affected you even more and made you feel even more that you had a flaw uh, and that you were unlovable, is the fact that, as you were starting to say, um, that they were fighting over you. You were the Raggedy Ann doll in the middle. And you must have felt Mm -hmm. um, that so guilty about that somehow, even though you were five, that that if you had somehow, you know, run away with your father, that maybe he wouldn't have ended up in jail or ended up killing himself. Of course you do, and you feel that extreme amount of guilt. Uh, you know, again, I'll, I'll get to the point how I got set free and how, I, you know, I don't know if my mother ever quite got over that. And you, you do, you feel responsible, and you buy into all the the faulty things. Not only did was my, my father's death was kind of the, the ticker and the beginning of everything, 
but it would, you know, as my mom, as I said, became an alcoholic, we were, our financial life changed drastically. My grandmother had cut us off, and so now I'm left in the hands of caretakers and really raising myself at a very young age. I had a brother that I'd find out was a half-brother, um, though my father had adopted him when he was, you know, just very young, about two years old or so, but I wouldn't know that till later in life, and he was about six years older than me or so, and and um, I was sexually and physically abused, so you start putting all these dynamics. Now, I'm going to insert something at the end. I think that's going to be important as our listeners hear this journey and why I'm talking about the problem, because sometimes the solution is meaningless if you don't define the problem. And it was very hard for me to write. As you said, I'm very authentic, very vulnerable, very real. And you you really go, go there. And one of the great counselors that I had in my life was Dr. Paul Meyer. Um, many people know him from Menrith Meyer, and he had Meyer Clinics. And um, spent a lot of time, and he, I, I laugh, I say, he, I laugh at this now um, that I go, he actually has my papers to verify that I'm not crazy, you know, but Dr. <laughs> Meyer said, Paula, you're my poster child, and I want to give someone hope as they hear this story, and I didn't put this part in the book, and I said, why is that, and I'll never forget, he goes, you're my poster child, and I said, for what, he goes, because anyone that is trained and, and knows um you know, has studied psychiatry and human behavior, et cetera, uh, recognizes all the signs of abuse and brokenness. And, and it especially is, you know, a good counselor gets to start prying you open and peeling you like an onion to help you find those answers and, and things in life. Even after I had, uh, God had done so much healing in my life. It's this lifelong journey. But he mm-hmm. said, you were the most transformed life from a product that the trajectory, the prognosis for you should have been that you would have been depressed, suicidal, an abuser, perhaps, yeah. an abandoner, um, an alcoholic, an addict, and went through all the things that the prognosis said I should be. But there was such divine intervention and such desire in me that I think was placed there by God that ultimately is not about, oh, look what happened. Look what Paula did. It's look what God can do through a life. Uh And, And maybe your life started out on a very broken path, and hopefully by the end of this program we'll be able to give some good tools and help and hope to say, I can't change my yesterday. I, I couldn't do anything about it. You know, I didn't choose the family, but I ultimately believe that God, in His sovereignty, chose my DNA and knew everything I would go through. And therefore, in in understanding that, there were some deep-rooted uh, lessons, and, and not just what I say lessons, but transformation. You know, all things are possible because I couldn't change yesterday, but I I have all the power in the world to change my tomorrow. And and someone needs to know that, that maybe you've come through a very broken childhood and, and it doesn't end there for me, you know, because those those patterns, those behaviors, those generational curses um, get really deeply embedded so much 
more than we think so that that becomes a process that I think the Bible says we go from glory to glory. Paul says, I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I'm, I will be saved. There's this continual process of salvation because people, I think, think salvation is just spending eternity with God. Surely that's part of it. That's the destination. But that's not the process. And it mm-hmm. actually comes from a root word of, to be delivered, to be made whole, to be restored. And that's this continual process that is taking place in our life. So it, it started yeah. out pretty rough for me. Yes. Well, when we come back, we will uh, continue the journey with Pastor Paula White. Her book, her amazing book, is called Something Greater, Finding Triumph Over Trials. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't write yourself And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I want to get right back into conversation with Pastor Paula White uh, and her incredible book called Something Greater, Finding Triumph Over Trials. Um, And, of course, there's an allegory or a metaphor or (laughs) both uh, in regard to what she has had to go through and what we are all going through, although really, uh, really, Paula, your things were a lot more dramatic than, I mean, I know we're having a hard time with yeah. coronavirus, but let's be real, <laughs> you had a lot more drama. Yeah. Um, one it, of the things, it, you know, we were talking, we were talking brain, about, though, go ahead, Carol, I was going to say the brain, when it's trauma, when it's the trauma brain, it, uh, 
you know, it, 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 it still processes as a trauma brain, though. And these principles yes. that I write in the book are so important, I think, for people to help understand when there's loss in our life or tragedy or trials, yes. how you do get through yes. those. And and you're right. I'm you. You live in a field and help people, and I've lived a life and uh, have dedicated my life to helping people. That yes, my my trauma is probably a lot more intense than people. But to someone who's had a fairly you know fairly uh, decent life or, or an untraumatized life, this is very hard for them to handle. And we absolutely, absolutely triggers. It, it, yes, it's just that traumas. Um, yes, it is. This is very hard for a lot of people. You know, I talk about covicide, the name that I've given to uh, uh, people mm. who commit suicide because of fear or desperation related in some way to coronavirus. So yes, absolutely. It's just that when people, when we are the younger we are. Uh, the traumas that we go through are even more, have more of an impact on our life, the rest of our life. Right. One of the things, um, taking off from, going back to from where we left off, um, you know, your mother, of course, suffered a lot when your father died too, and uh, she didn't, I don't think she anticipated that when she moved, you know, that rather than shape up, that it would end in his suicide. So, um, right. one thing I, I was wondering about was, why, like you talk about her, you know, massaging your brother and like uh, them watching television together and so yeah. on. And, um, and, and other thing, I heard saying that you were ugly and of course you're this beautiful woman, but um, I know, and, and that you had problems because you were drinking milk for, until you were five, you were give, being given a bottle until you were five. So that affected your teeth and so on. But, um, yeah. but I didn't quite understand why, why do you think, um, your mother at that point had such antipathy towards you. Was it because you were daddy's girl and she blamed you in a way for his death? You know, my mom and I always had this um, interesting relationship. I knew deep down that she loved me unconditionally. I knew that. I knew that she she was tough. I mean, my mom was not an, uh, you know, she's a pretty tough cookie. Um, I knew that she loved me, and I felt, at least I believed, um, I lost her last year, and, and there was a lot of healing later in life, mm. but I believed that to the best of her ability, um, my mom did what she could, and and she uh, was the best mother that she could be. I had believed that, and that seed of love in her uh, went a long way with me, um, however, not to say that there certainly was not our moments, um, because there was all this, a lot of yin and yang uh, throughout our lifetime, um, a lot of uh, clashing and coming back together, uh, because I did feel a lot of abandonment from my mom. I did feel a lot of anger towards her, and my brother had a, a very different personality than me. I described that, you know, my mom said I came out tumbling and I was born of course, breach with an umbilical cord around my neck, and I was just this super personality, hyper person. And my brother was very, my brother's an accountant, very quiet, mm-hmm. very subdued. You know, I would go out and know everyone in the neighborhood within a day. He would wait inside the, the apartment or house for a year, 
before somebody would come to him. We were two very different people. I think my mom mm-hmm. probably is stressed and on edge as she lived, um, which she was. Uh, I probably could push her over that edge. We just, you know, looking back, I mean, at the time, it was just a deeper form of rejection to me. But looking back, I see maybe where Mark was a a little bit easier to handle and maybe those dynamics between my dad. Again, I didn't know when I was little that he was a half-brother. He had a different father than I did. Um, So Mm -hmm. all those dynamics, I'm sure, played into it, which only made it more complicated for me growing up and and trying to, you know, figure all of this out. I mean, it was like instead of unlayering and unraveling, it seemed like I was, you know, but that Alice in Wonderland going deeper down the rabbit hole, you know, it just, Uh I kept falling into the never-ending well. And so that, that was a very complex relationship for years when I, you know, but, but the, I think the glue that held it together and the, I talk about it at the end, how difficult her death was on me, um, much more so than I anticipated. Um, and how that bond, I realized I'll even start to cry now. Um, really there's something incredibly special, maybe as the only person that was now, she wasn't consistently there responsibly for me. Uh, she wasn't what you'd say, this is an A-plus mother by any means. But I knew she loved me unconditionally. I just knew I was loved by my mom. And maybe that that being the longest human being. Now, in my life, it's become God. And I think that's one of the things that has driven me so deep into this relationship with God. And as the most stable force and firm foundation that I have, but I did know in her tiny ways, and I leave those breadcrumbs of, of how I begin to understand that, that I did somehow start figuring out her behavior was separate from her person, and she came from a generation that you didn't talk about it, and when I finally mm-hmm. had my come to Jesus, I talk about that with my mom, I find out you know, I'd gotten pregnant out of wedlock when I was 18 years old. I found out, you know, my brother, my half-brother, and there were things that led up to me kind of beginning to suspect that, but find out uh, the truth of her childhood. And, and boy, if I, you know, her, her father didn't commit suicide, but my mom, and I don't write about all this in the book, but my mom, my grandmother died in her, her 40s, uh, you know, overdosing on Valium and was an addict, and my mom was mm. driving her to a psychiatrist. Think about this back in the, what, that would have been the 50s or so to a psychiatrist. My mom's 10 years old, 12 years old, driving her mom to a psychiatrist, and she would mm. be in bed for three months at a time, Or and her mother would come from a pretty well-to-do family, and, and it, it just, there was so much destruction and so much dysfunction, and and so as I aged and and as I became more aware, and and I think sometimes we like to, you know, of course Oprah would say you're only as sick as your secrets, and there is some truth in that. That I think the more I learned about my mom, the more compassion I became and understanding I became. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. she was from that tough school of you don't show your weakness, you know, and and you you know. Obviously, you know, she came from a, a, a small town in Mississippi, and she was going to break free from that family, and 
naked and not have to depend on a man and not have to, you know, and all these, these tough things and grew up, you know, in a, as a woman in a man's world. And so my mom gave me a lot of backbone. She gave me a lot of discipline. She gave me um, strength in areas that's worked. But, you know, the other areas of, of nurturing and, and helping me understand that they came in some odd packages, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think um, as dysfunctional and so on, you know, some of these things were, clearly you have gotten in your DNA um, the, some of the, you know, the really strong, the strengths of both your father and mother um, in their different yeah. ways. But, you know, um, I mean, even though, yes, he, your father was irresponsible in some ways and so on, but there was a, you, you talk about him being so charming. I mean, there was a, a strength in that charm and and, um, uh, and outgoingness and so on that undoubtedly has helped you, you know, in your ministry and everything. Um, and same thing with your Very mother, much. you know, with her her industrialness, industriousness, and so on. Um, that really, uh, you know, all of that, the good stuff. They put the good stuff in you as well. It's so true, and Carol, I actually said, I was um, speaking somewhere, and I said, it, if I wouldn't have said this in my 20s, 30s, maybe not even 40s, but I said, you know, I believe so much in the sovereignty of God that everything I needed, I received. Now, somebody might, get, you know, debate that and look at that and, and just, my son now has, I have two beautiful grandchildren, and he looks at his uh, daughter, Asher, who will be four in July, and just says, Mom, I can't imagine. And, yeah, there are those moments, but I believe that that I was, everything that happened, I'm not saying God sent. I'm saying the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But it certainly has been God used, and it formed me to be the person I am. I probably wouldn't be as compassionate, as empathetic, as caring, as driven, as you said, have the personality, because I really wanted more than anything family and love and validation and safety. And, and so all the things that I give back to humanity, which brings me tremendous amount of joy and pleasure to serve God in these ways, is really out of my, my pain and the things that, that formed me predominantly in my childhood. And then I wish I could say that was the end of the story. I mean, the good part is I obviously come to to this salvation knowledge. I'm, my my story always has a guy in it. I'm, you know, I'm a, this overachiever. Uh, my mom really awakens the inner drive in me. I uh, do gymnastics up to junior Olympics. I am, I wanted love so bad that I would conform to what makes you love me? Is it, mom, if I bring home, if I'm straight A student, is it if I have sex with you, if I, you know, do this and if somebody say, how can you say that, Pastor Paula? Because this is my real life. This was, you know, I grew up in church. I didn't, I'd heard the name Jesus, but I didn't know him as a tooth, you know, it's like the tooth fairy. I mean, I, I had no real understanding. There was a, a, a moral compass in a great degree. And what I mean by that is I never went out and, you know, I never did drugs. I didn't get drunk. And that probably had little to do with uh, me wanting to be responsible as much as me not wanting to be like my mother. And so mm-hmm. I would want to be responsible. And it had to do with the abuse, too, me not wanting to be out of control. 
and mm-hmm. like no one would ever have that ability to hurt me or to take advantage of me. So I was going to at least control the things I could, my body, my actions, my, you know, my thoughts to the best of my degree. And that would take me years to even understand that. And I could have become a control freak, you know. So all of these things happen in life, and you hit these moments of how does it turn out? So when, when I'm 18 years old and, and I say, you know, obviously my mom said, you know, be sexually responsible. Just make sure you love someone. How do you know if you love someone? And so it wasn't mm-hmm. like I was all over the place or just out there wild and crazy. I fell in love, so I thought. And... I was with this man who becomes the father of my son. And, and so I'm at his house and after, you know, we're, we're living together and I talk about this and then I go to his grandmother's house and his uncle looks me in my eyes. He's over there visiting from Florida and that, this was up in Maryland. And he looks at me and said, I have the answers to your questions and the solution to your pain and problems. Of course, I get very defensive because no, no one's going to penetrate that. You know, those are those deep mm-hmm. things that it's like, how would you even know I have pain and problems? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I, I don't live as the victim. I don't live as this. And so he brings out this book, and it's a Bible. And I've seen it. I know what a Bible is, but I really don't know what it is. And he starts talking to me and telling me things that, quite honestly, Carol, I didn't like hearing them at first. I mean, he tells me how I'm a sinner. I don't know what that means. He tells me how... Um, you know, I've, I've done these things wrong. I, I, I'm like, I'm a pretty good person. I'm kind to humans. I'm, you know, caring. I, I try to be the best person I can be. And he starts showing me really the state of all humanity and the fallen state of humanity and, and how God loves us and, and has a pathway to redeem us, to, to transform us. And I love this whole idea that my life could change. I loved the whole idea, but the more he talked, it wasn't getting to my head. It started getting to my heart and started getting my Uh spirit, and and something was different about this conversation. It wasn't just like, hey, here's a great book. Read it. It's going to give you five Uh tips and help you. This was different, and it it was like an invasion of this invisible force, and it sounds so corny, but he leads me to the Lord. I receive Jesus Christ, my Lord. Savior, he actually takes me through deliverance, but I, I don't even know what it is at that time. He, through a word of knowledge and discernment, begins to say, Paul, I want you to pray this prayer. And he was so soft and gentle, and I pray it, and boy, I walk outside, and for the first time, the grass is green and the sky is blue, and that sounds corny, but I realized that my whole life was black and white, and that started the path not only healing and wholeness, which I believe is an everyday walk with God, but to real love. I discovered real love for the first time in my life. And he told me to go to church, find a place. I went to a few places. I'm 18 years old. And most people are 60, 70. I thought that was old. Now, of course, that's (laughs) young. And I, I said, I need that book. I need that book. And I get the Bible and I hold it up. And think about this, I have no idea what revelation means or any concept, sin, any of that. And I said, God, please show me who you are, show me who I am, and show me what life's about. And I prayed this just simple little prayer. And virtually for two years, I did nothing but say in that word. It's like I couldn't put it down. The more I read, the more I wanted, the more I 
got into it, the more I began, it was like coming at me like it was 3D. And it was almost like I could feel parts of my life beginning to transform, obviously starting with a calloused heart and, you know, a hurting heart and a, a wounded soul. And, and that was the beginning of the transformation that's been a 36-year process that, you know, I wrote this book, Something Greater. Something Greater doesn't mean a bigger house or a bigger car or, or more money. I mean, it could be inclusive of that for some people. But what it is, is God has something greater for you. On the other uh-huh. side of pain, on the other side of mm-hmm. uh, what, where people would like to label you and, and put you in a box called victim or abused, which all those things are truth and, and facts, but, you know, when I say they're facts, they are not necessarily truth, because God called me fearfully and wonderfully created, and you mentioned a story about my mom, you know, when she was drunk one wait, time, pa- she <laughs> Paula, wait, let me, let, I, I hate to interrupt you, God, um, but the music had played, I don't know if you heard it, but we I get it. Have to take a little, <laughs> we have to take a little break right now, we will come right back. This is, but this is a good. It's a good um, place to stop because let's let people think about that for a while, mull over that uh, experience that you had. So, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm talking with Pastor Paula White. Her book is called Something Greater: Finding Triumph Over Trials, and we will be right back. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here today with Pastor Paula White, 
She has an amazingly rich life, rich in so many different ways. I'm not talking about the, not looking at money, not looking, focusing on money. I'm talking about rich with God, rich with all the things that she has overcome. I mean, the book called Something Greater, Finding Triumph Over Trials. She has enough trials uh, for us to talk about, actually, for two shows. So we're going to do part two next week. But because I didn't really want to um, rush her through, there's so much. And especially now, this is a key part um, where you are finding your way, first starting to find your way to God and realizing, um, you know, looking at life in a, in a different way and, I guess, beginning to find more hope in your situation. So take us where you left off. Absolutely. The, the, when I gave my life to the Lord, I did it out of that, uh, again, just encounter in this uh, double-wide trailer, you know, at, at my boyfriend's grandmother's house. And my life was so transformed. And, and when I started getting in the Word, the Word started getting in me. And it didn't happen overnight, Carol. It wasn't something that was like, a sudden deliverance in my life was completely changed. This has been an ongoing process of 36 years, but boy, I can look back and even see some of the decisions that I made in my early 20s um, after I was saved. I certainly wouldn't make those decisions now, but I made them with the best of my knowledge that I knew at the time. And I, I start out again, I'm living with my boyfriend. Um, so you think about this, I, I'm still living with him. I write about this in the book. I now have been saved, but I don't really have a concept of what the, the Bible will call it sin. So what sin is, is to miss the mark, to fall short of the character of Christ, which means God has this wonderful life for you, that you are born with a purpose and intention from God, that you're not an accident, you're not a mistake, you're not a victim, you're not um, a castaway, and all the things that maybe you've come to believe about yourself or what has created that confusion or low self-esteem. And, and so one day I, I'm looking at my boyfriend and I think to myself, I go, I, I can't do this. And he goes, do what? And I said, I don't know this. And he said, what, Paula? Like, and I said, I don't know this. And, and I had no idea that that was the Holy Spirit convicting me. That was the Holy Spirit saying, like, Paula, I have a greater plan for you. I have something greater mm. And it's those moments that, you know, I just kind of blindly followed that. Uh, at the time, I would have probably said my gut or intuition, but it was the leading of the Holy Spirit. It was the working of God on the inside of us. And what is so beautiful about not this story or my story, God's story, is that it's so full of messy grace. I was a completely, I say, former messed up Mississippi girl, uh, I mean, you name it. They called me everything trailer trash because my mom cuts me off when I'm 18 years old thinking she's helping me and, you know, because I'm living a lifestyle that's not in her plan. You know, I'm supposed to be in college and getting a career and a minimum of a master's and I've become a Jesus freak now. And so that just was not <laughs> on the radar. You know, that wasn't part of it. Uh, turned out to to work out pretty well for me, you know, and, and, and all my family would agree because at that time... To my knowledge, there was no one that was saved. I go back and find out my great-grandmother, Mama Annie, who really was a caretaker for me those early years and had strong impact. They told me she's crazy, you know, just crazy. And 
And when I was about 12, it slipped up. They said, oh, she's a religious woman. And one day after I'm in the Word for a long time and started praying, and I'm beginning to understand the things of God and beginning to understand the realm of the Spirit. And I said, God, no one just comes out of nowhere. I mean, what what happened here? Like, how do how have you been so good to me? How, why have you shown me so much mercy and grace and goodness? And it was as if I was taken back to that time that the person that I really bonded the most with was my great-grandmother. I called her Mama Annie. She was 97 pounds about. She was bent over, arthritic, smelled like Bengay. I can smell her right now. And I mean, I just, uh, you know, very rejected. They'd put her in a room. But she would hold me and pray over me, and she'd mumble, and I, I really didn't know what she was doing. And she was praying, and the Lord showed me that she dedicated me to Him. And no one will know, you know, Mama Annie's name or or her picture's not famous, her name's not known, but she's the hero. She's the hero in heaven. That mm-hmm. She took what was put in her hands, dedicated this little girl to God, prayed over her every day. And I went no into, I was actually writing this book that we moved more than 14 times. Apparently we moved when I was one years old uh, from Tupelo to Jackson. And my mom said, I just cried every night for a year straight. And I said, she said she thinks it was because I was away from Mama Annie. And then we mm-hmm. moved back to Tupelo. And there was some very deep bond between my great-grandmother and I. And, and, and honestly, my childhood memories of, of love, like I said, there was a yin and yang between my mom and I, but the, the love, I mean, the, the pure love. And I think someone knows what I'm talking about there. That was my mama, Annie, and that was my gift from God. And God has a gift in all of our lives. It might be a stranger that you encounter. It might be a moment that you walk into church. It might be someone, it might be this program right now to let you know that God loves you and you're on his mind. And I didn't know those truths, that he was mindful of me, that he cared about me, that he had a plan for me. But the more I discovered them, the more my life became peaceful and content. And I'm not saying everything got right. There was a lot of lot of deliverance to take place. I talked about the control issue. Um, one of the things I learned early on, I was bulimic and anorexic as a teenager. And, and that had to do with an out-of-control life. And if I couldn't control my life, mm-hmm. I found through therapy the one thing you learn you can control is your body. And it's usually not mm-hmm. an issue of um, what people think. You know, it was an issue of being so out of control. And some of the sicknesses in our life are our cries for help of, of just wanting what everybody wants. Stability, safety, security, love, uh, validity, and then maybe some respect in there somewhere. And so those things all came and it came through the amazing love story that I found with God. And he has that same love story. It's written different to you. It's written different to everyone listening because it's personal. And he'll write on the tablets of our heart and on our life. And, you know, the Bible says that we become the epistles, the, the living letter of God. And so my letter to someone is to say, God is a God of restoration. And to restore doesn't mean back to before the incident happened. It means back again, back to the original condition that God intended before the fall of man. 
that God never intended for us to be abused and hurt and broken and bleeding. And, you know, his intention was to have this amazing relationship of love and goodness and grace and intimacy with him. And out of that relationship, the other things seem to fall into place. It doesn't mean that faith prevents life. It means faith carries you through life. And I know next time we come together and we're able to do this, I'll share the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, right? <laughs> I mean, we'll get to the yes, rest of it, but I want someone to know God loves them. And start with the simplicity of, he's standing at the door knocking on your heart. And I know my heart was pretty hardened, and I didn't even know it was hardened. It was just callous from everything I'd gone through in life. And he doesn't demand you to get it all right. He just wants you to put a little crack in the door. And if you let him in, it's amazing what can happen. And people now look and say, first female clergy to ever pray the inauguration or know me as the spiritual advisor to the president or building one of the largest ministries or helping millions of people around the world. But all of that is really just fruit of an amazing love story between God and a girl. This is a perfect place to end, and also with the with the um, uh, call to people to just look for this in their life, and uh, you know that especially during these times, but at any time really, that um, when things look bleak, you know that you just have to look for God, whatever God you believe in, Christian God, Jewish God. Uh, Muslim God, you know, whatever, there, there is a God for all of us up Amen. there. Well, well, Pastor Paula White, thank you so much for sharing this. We will, this is to be continued. And uh, again, her book is called Something Greater, Finding Triumph Over Trials. And I think you've given people a great head start to do just that. So thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 